Welcome to Unbooking the Territory Season 2, where we look at the beginnings and ends, the first and last, the alphas and omegas of professional wrestling. Duo Dan Griffin, joined as ever by my partner in podcasting Piss Eddery, UTT Rob. Rob, how are you, mate? I'm doing great, Dan. The, the only problem I've got with this is I think we're going to have a lot of trouble pronouncing these names, but we're going to give it um, a good old college try, aren't we? We are indeed. Um, we'll get into what we're covering, uh, but I do have to uh, rob a line off, um, off Crime and Sports, which is one of my favourite podcasts going, with what we're covering and some of the pronunciations involved, we ask that you fo- that you find our ignorance charming, <laughs> because uh, it'll be it might be a little bit difficult. But uh, shall we? Uh, shall I just get into it and, and explain roughly what we're uh, what we're looking at before we get into the beer chat? Yeah, yeah, sounds good to me. Yeah, we're taking the uh, the first and last to the extreme. And it's not ECW we're covering. We have found footage of the oldest wrestling match uh, that we are led to believe exists. Uh, so we'll be watching a match from Prague in 1913 between Gustav Fristensky and Joseph Smeckel. And just to give you some context how long ago 1913 is, when this was recorded, Prague was in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Yep. Yeah. How old, how old, World War One? Yeah, how old does that make it sound? The Austro-Hungarian Empire. So I, I've made a list. So initially, uh, in 1913, it was in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which fell in 1918, and Prague was then in the first Czechoslovak Republic. Yeah. Yeah. Up until 1938, and when Nazi Germany occupied the Sudetenland, a, a smaller Czechoslovakia of the second Czechoslovakia Republic was created basically so that's the third country it was in during the war nazi germany occupied czechoslovakia and it became the protectorate of bohemia and moldavia so that's the fourth country it's been in after that there was a brief period after the war with the third czechoslovak uh, republic um, but it wasn't long before um, sort of soviet forces came in and it was declared the czechoslovakian socialist republic up until 1990 so that's five that's the sixth one after the uh, sorry yeah, sick one. Then there was the short-lived between 1990 and 1992, the Czech and Slovak Federative Republic, including both the Czech and Slovak uh, countries. And then obviously Slovakia went its own separate way, taking it to eight, which is the current Czech Republic, or as they've recently been um, asking themselves to be called since 2016, Česka. Um, Fair enough. That eight is. countries. Prague has been in eight countries since this match was filmed. People moan about wrestlers being given too many gimmicks. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's incredible. I, um, that actually makes me want to read up more on the uh, on the history of Prague as a city. I'm sure I'll get around to that in uh, in about 
10 to 12 years time <laughs> but i'll be honest mate, I, I wouldn't have even thought of doing that level of research into the the location of the bout so kudos to you for that <laughs> awesome work but before we get into the into the match itself are you drinking Yes, I am. I'm finishing off an Ogun from Tartless Beers, which is 9.5% stout. And if you want to go to um, tartlessbeers.co.uk and put in the promo code UTT Podcast 15, get 15% off. And then there's a beer that I'm a little bit gutted that I didn't have on an episode that Lauren or her husband Andy were on because it's an Earl Grey IPA, so strong Newcastle links. It's from the Yeasty Boys. It's called Gunnamata. So I'm looking forward to that. And then I've got a Harbour Brewing Company cold IPA called 12 Miles North and a Henley's Irish White Lager. Sorry, I do beg your pardon, a Henley's Irish White Ale. I'm not particularly sure I've had a white ale before, so that'll be an interesting experience. No, I don't think I have. Sounds, uh, sounds intriguing, if, uh, if nothing else. You're finishing an organ. I'm just starting an organ. So I'm uh, going to be, in fact, do you know what? It's been a while since I've done this. I'll take a swig now. Great for the audio, obviously. In a shock to no one, a stout that Tartarus has made is bloody delicious. Yeah, I think I gave it 4.25 on untapped. I will be about the same, if not... I'll be about in that region, I think, myself. And as ever, I'm just continually blown away by the the bottle label art as well. Yeah, um, isn't it? Yeah. Then after that, I've got a, uh, a moth back to Northern Monk. I've got their OFS 075, which is a, a coconut double IPA, at 8.5%. Sabro Incognito, Citra, Amarillo, Eldorado, and Sabro Coconut uh, hops. And then if I get there, uh, something a little bit different, uh, Northern Monk again, but I've got something called a, a carrot patch, which is a carrot cake smoothie at 4.5%. And then I've got uh, their Beet and Bramble, which is a raspberry and beetroot smoothie beer at 4.5%. Oh, superb. That sounds really nice, the, uh, the raspberry one. Yeah, yeah, something a bit sweet to round off the, uh, round off the evening. Yeah. Um, but while we're speaking about beer, uh, what would you recommend people uh, drink while watching this match? It's actually one that you bought us uh, at one time. You, you got us a, a, a pack of Eastern European beers. So it's... Uh, Premium Svetli Lexka, number 12. It's a 5% Pilsner from Bohemia Regents, uh, which is a Czech brewery in uh, Tribon. It's one that I've given 3.75 to uh, out of 5 on tap. So Beth gave it 3.25. And uh, it's one that you gave 2.25 on. And, and in a good sign, um, you'd had it before you uh, ordered it for us. So must have liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that one was uh, was necessarily my thing, but it's only just slightly under average, so not too bad, I suppose. And you guys obviously liked it more than me, so... Oh, you know so, Beth and Czech beers. I do, I do. I've gone a slightly different route with my recommendation because I was thinking, what's the oldest recipe of beer I can remember or find in my sort of growing pantheon of check-ins on Untapped? And then I remembered uh, our friends at Brass Castle brew something called Emergency Bitter, which isn't quite from 1913, but it is brewed to a uh, to a Cold War recipe. So that's going to, which is going back uh, a good few decades. So that's as as far as I can go. And as, I'm not a bitter, well, I'm a bitter person, but I don't like drinking bitter. Um, 
<laughs> and and it was good enough for even me to give it a 2.5, which yeah. for somebody who likes bitter, I assume, puts it up to about a four and a half. Yeah, I, I really do like bitter, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so if you get, get your hands on a, on a can of that, I'd, uh, I'd recommend it. Yeah. Does Beth have a beer for us? And Beth's beer of the week is One Bad Apple by Badass Hard Cider. So there you go, that was Best Beer of the Week, One Bad Apple, which is a 5.5% cider by Badass Hard Cider, which is an American brewery. I've been through all my ciders uh, looking on this. I've had well over 100. It's the only American cider I've had. You know, typically it's either maybe British or one of the Scandi countries, um, the Balkans, that sort of thing. Um, you know, you get an occasional French Sidra or, you know, like north spain or italy but yeah yeah to, to, to actually get an american one seemed really weird so that was great it's one that she gave 4.5 out of 5 to an untapped and it's surprising no one i'm not a massive fan of the apple cider so i gave that 2.25 yeah so i'm just out of curiosity I just went on my untapped just to see how many ciders i've checked in and across dry ciders fruited ciders and traditional ciders uh, i come to 20. <laughs> <laughs> And one of those was Strongbow Dark Fruit, uh, which, I, which I gave a five to because I am not above spending the afternoon getting shitted on dark fruit. I mean, we got a box of the it's Thomas Wilkins or something. It's a Welsh brewery, and I think there was like 12 different ones just from that brewery. <laughs> I was going to say Henry Weston's. Well, yeah, we, I mean, we've had quite a few Henry Weston's uh, tribute to Andy uh, from Bam Bam Podcast and the uh, Bristol Piss. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a fair few Henry Westons as well, to be fair. It's just predated my involvement with Untapped. I, uh, but, you know, summer's here. I may have, to, uh, may have to revisit a few just for the checking. As I mentioned before, we are looking at uh, the oldest wrestling match uh, footage from 1913 between Gustav Fristensky and Joseph Smeckel. I couldn't find much background on this, so I'll run through the, uh, the little bit uh, that I found for the match itself. And then we'll go into each uh, each wrestler. I think if that's if that's good by you, dude. Yeah. So basically, as the background for it, all I have is that this was likely the the biggest professional wrestling match in Prague of that decade, and the only real sort of combat sporting event that could have drawn more interest than this was when uh, Joseph Smeckel fought boxing's megastar and world champion Jack Johnson. But I couldn't find much on uh, on that about either. So if you've got something to pad out my two sentences, I'd sincerely yeah. appreciate it. No, Frensky and Smeckel faced each other five times during the career. So I had a bit of a rivalry going on. And absolutely personal rivalry between uh, the two of them. The first match they ever had was um, over the affections, uh, and this is complete 1913, of a girl named... Tremienka, and what uh, had actually happened at some point in 1903, Gustav uh, had met her. She was uh, a petty cashier from the Garden Restaurant at the White Swan in Prague. Um, she was 17 at the time, long blonde hair, blue eyes, the, the work sort of thing. Gustav started sending her uh, postcards, uh, you know, from his trip around the world when he was wrestling. But then he discovered that Schmeckel was sending her postcards as well. The devil. The absolute devil. He was in a postcard DMs. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. Let me tell you something, Cole. You better booker it better. And that noise right there means it's time for Steve-O to booker it better. What the fuck? This is silent footage. 
Here we go, Michael Cole. This is the this is the this is the match we've all been waiting for. This is this is the grudge match. This is the grudge match, a ten year grudge match. Since since nineteen oh three, Frenchkensky has found out that Smedzko has has sent his girlfriend, his girlfriend of ten years, the same postcard, postcard after postcard, ten years of hurt. But oh my goodness, they're gonna settle it out in the ring. And when they mean when I mean sending out in the ring, I mean locking up. I mean locking up and getting to grips with one another, getting skin on skin, bone on bone. Because oh my goodness, I'm telling you now, Michael Cole, the only way I'm gonna be able to get through this match is by simply closing my eyes, sticking a camera in my face, and recording me speaking, riffing. Because I'm finding this. Bookering it better, just impossible. So let me tell you something, Cole. When they get in that ring, friendships, they may be shaking each other's hands before they get in the ring, but I'm telling you now, Michael Cole, I'm telling you now, Michael Cole, that once they get in that ring, friendships are out the window. I'm telling you now from experience, Michael Cole. So let me tell you something, Cole. Once they get into grips with everything, they're going to have to hate each other. And I'm telling you now, they're going to have to get on it and get on it. So as we see these guys locking up, I'm telling you now something, Michael Cole, Finch Finchkensky and Smirchko, they're going to have to do a lot more than just locking up. Oh my god, don't believe it, Finchkensky's got a lock on. He's got a lock on, you got to keep on top of him, keep on top of him, you got to keep doing it. And if I continue doing this anymore, my voice is going to break. So let me tell you something, Cole, can you dig that, sucker? So there you go, Steve, I'll book him better. Um, there's two wrestlers <laughs> fighting over who's sending postcards to the love of the life. <laughs> I don't know what I just watched. Oh, I just listened to. Sorry for the benefit of people at home. Uh, but we have to say Steve are booking it better because, like I said, the footage is silent. <laughs> easy win for Steve this week. I just love the whole concept of uh, this postcard correspondence being the uh, kayfabe storyline between these two. I just can't stop thinking about the, um, you know, the uh, the old school weightlifters in Family Guy. Which I say Carruthers. <laughs> He's sending, he's sending your lady postcards. But at the end of that first match in 1904, Frensky goes on and wins, but he decides that he doesn't want to marry her because he wants to continue wrestling around the world. Ironically, in the very next year, he meets his wife and takes her with him. He figured out that was an option, did he? Yeah. Bloody hell, Gustav. <laughs> what are you playing at, sunshine? Oh, man. Men have always been kind of dumbasses. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you said they faced each other five times, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's very, it was very much the uh, Jackie Polo, Mick McManus of its day, given the, the length of time the rivalry went over and the you know very few times they actually faced each other. Well, yeah, because you said that was 1904, the first match. Yeah, yeah, that was 1904, the first match. And I think the last match was... 1923. Bloody hell. Because 1923, so which, you know, it just sort of adds to the drama of the characters, really, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> I shouldn't make light of World Wars, but I just did, so fuck it. I blame the beer. 
Uh, so as I mentioned, Frostensky was born on uh, born in 1879 on, on May the 7th, to be exact, in uh, uh which was in Bohemia. And uh, he was, uh, I think he reached the heights of uh, European champion of both uh, amateur and professional wrestling. He was one of seven children. His family were, uh, were farmers in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. At the age of 14, he began an apprenticeship at a blacksmith, but changed, uh, changed profession after an accident at work and, and became a butcher instead. Now, when they say accident, there was a dispute in, in the workshop and one of, one of his uh, fellow apprentices passed him an incandescent horseshoe, which burnt the shit out of his hand. Now, I've, I used to work uh, at a supermarket and uh, for a time I was working on the bakery. Uh, there was a refit happening and we had an area where all the hot racking would go that was straight out of the oven because obviously you know, you're, you're mass baking things, et cetera, et cetera. And I went to move one of these hot racks. It wasn't a traditional sort of oven glove I was wearing. It was it was a square one. And it somehow in moving my hand towards it, the glove slipped off. So I grabbed this rack that had been in a 400 degree oven with my bare palm. It caused a huge blister right across my hand. It, it speaks to the skin on your palm that, that I've got no visible scar from it. But I've had that done and that was bad enough. I can't imagine what it'd be like been handed a, what I assume is a red hot or white hot horseshoe. Just absolutely mental. Yeah, yeah, just to survive that, you're talking uh, Les Kellett's uh, levels of hard bastardry. Yeah, well, and after that, it took three months of home remedies before he before his hand was in, in good enough condition to, to go and to be a butcher, which, <laughs> three bloody months. After that, he, uh, he went and worked in uh, in Colin and, and Berno. Uh, in Berno, he began uh, attending and, and working in uh, the so-called uh, sports club. And he was actually a gymnast initially. Uh, started wrestling in 1898, uh, took part in competitions in, in Berno, Prague and Vienna. Uh, in 1903, the 24-year-old Frostensky was Austria's wrestling champion and participated at the European Championships in Greco-Roman style uh, that were held in Rotterdam. Uh, at this time, at this point in time, they were still held without sort of weight classifications. But Frostensky excelled, and he was crowned the European champion. Ahead, and I don't know if these names will mean anything to anybody, but it was ahead of Hans Heinrich Egerberg from Denmark, Joseph Plomb of Belgium, Philip de Haas also of Belgium, and Otto Grandpire and Karl Hock from the German Reich. Just to give you sort of an idea of the uh, the size of the guy. Uh, for I think we need to uh, say that's the second Reich as well, otherwise we'll get into trouble with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Uh, just to give you an idea of the, uh, the sort of size and stature of the guy, he was 1.8 metres tall and weighed about 100 kilos. And I don't have that to hand in Imperial measures, but I can get it if you need me to. 108 is 5 foot 10, isn't it? 100 kilos is... 220 pounds. Yeah, I was going to say about 220 pounds. Yeah, round about that. And so in the same year, in 1903, with those with that height and weight in mind, uh, he took part in something called a body beauty competition. Uh, he was advertised as a world champion in Vienna, because obviously, uh, well, he was a European wrestling champion. Uh, but he won the body beauty competition, and he's therefore be, uh, it can be described as one of the founding fathers of modern bodybuilding which was an interesting side note. In 1906, uh, although I'd now dispute this um, 
they did. But in 1906, it says uh, Fristensky became a, a professional a professional wrestler. Uh, but obviously, by that point, he'd already had a uh, a match with with Smekel, hadn't he? But I suppose that was uh, that was contested under amateur rules. There's a lot of blurring at this point in between what is pro wrestling and what is amateur wrestling. Some of it's amateur wrestling that is worked. Yeah. If that makes sense. So, yeah. It does. So at this point, it, it sort of it's quite interchangeable. He uh, Fristensky initially obviously initially stayed in Europe, won a tournament in uh, 1909 in uh, in Vienna that sort of launched his career. But he'd go on to wrestle in South America and the USA. Uh, within the USA alone, he wrestled in Chicago, Boston, uh, and even in uh, Madison Square Garden in New York. Yeah, he fought Frank Gotch as well. Did he? Actually, I didn't, I didn't actually see that. The, the throwout names like Andre Anderson, Victor Soldier, Joe Gershot, Marty Cutler and Joe Wallace, but nobody mentioned, uh, nobody mentioned Frank Gotch in my, uh, my admittedly limited research. Yeah, there was there's some sites where you have to like click on the uh, newspaper cuttings, and yeah, like, physically. I, I, yeah, I uh, I was um, not as pushed for time as I've been in recent weeks, but still uh, didn't have a vast amount. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I'm actually annoyed because I, they, you know these two guys do seem really you know seem interesting. I, I fear I'm not doing uh, not doing Gustav justice here. In 1913, he had a match in Vienna against Stanislas Chiganovic from Poland. He was defeated after 45 minutes, which it wasn't uncommon back in those days for quote-unquote legit wrestling matches to last potentially hours. So 45 minutes was regarded as quite quick, I think. Yeah, I think it was. I remember a George Hackenschmidt match lasting like four hours or something. Yeah, I think a couple of the uh, the Hacken, Schmidt and Gotch matches went four or five hours. Yeah. Uh, which is just insane to think about now because we we class a wrestling show, whole show too long at uh, three hours sometimes, don't we now? Yeah. Fristensky would go on in the First World War. He was uh, an artilleryman in the Austro-Hungarian army. He, he came through that in, in, in 1929. Uh, uh, Fristensky became the European Greco-Roman wrestling champion in Prague. There's a, a few more names here, but I'll, uh, I'll move along quickly. During the German occupation... Oh, uh, just before 1929, he self-funded a film called Pratska Cat, which is the hangman of Prague. So he self-funded a film that he would star in, which was uh, an absolute box office disaster. Oh. So just, just thought I'd mention that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, just, just what, what a life he's led. Up to this point so you know we've, we've got to 1929 he was born in 1879 so he's what, 50 at this point so first of all 50 years old becoming the greco-roman wrestling champion which is madness and and then you we get to the second world war it, you know he survived it was in it was in prison he was in a concentration camp and by all accounts he, after that after the second world war he was still Still wrestling here and there until 1951. Um, there's a bit more around that. So he, along with his brother, purchased a farm in Luzek um, in the Czech Republic. And the town was actually part of the Sudetenland, uh, which was confiscated by the Germans after the 
Munich Agreement in '38, so right. he had that taken off him. Uh, and during the Second World War, as you say, he, he was in the concentration camp because he'd been funding the resistance movement. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and his wife had to bribe the Nazi prison commander to let him out of the concentration camp. And there are various accounts as to whether she paid him all the way so she, quote-unquote, had to marry the commander. Bloody hell. There needs to be a a movie of this guy's life. (laughs) It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. And and unfortunately, it, well, for him and the Czech Republic, it, it doesn't stop there, does it? No, he um, he had a very difficult end to his life. He basically ended, he had to resort to selling his medals and trophies just to keep existing and keep food on the table. He eventually died in 1957 uh, in Litovl, where, he, where he's buried. But it, before he died in 1956, he received the title of a merited master of sport. Yeah. Which was a nice little thing, but it was it was a fairly fairly sad end to someone who'd really done great things and undergone immense hardship. Yeah, because uh, uh, at the end of the war, as the Red Army swept in, the soldiers basically resided on his uh, on his farm and ransacked it, and uh, you know left with nothing, you know, like a plague yes. of locusts. But also after that, when you know we we get the Socialist Republic of um, Czechoslovakia. His farm gets collectivized as well by the communist yeah. authorities. So it did, yeah. and I, I, that that's completely uh, my bad. I forgot. I, I did read that. I just I forgot to write it down for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. So we went. He went from the the awfulness of you know concentration camp and came through that, and then just went from hardship to hardship. It was really a very sad end. Yeah. No, it really was. In terms of Smeckle, at the age of 16, he became seriously aware with pulmonary Qatar, and uh, w- when he sort of recovered from the disease, uh, his body was, you know, basically uh, emaciated, which, you know, led to ridicule from friends, etc. Um, so he took up bodybuilding to work its way back, and after a year, he could lift um, 64 kilograms with one hand, which was, you know, amazing his... Um, wow neighbours with sort of feats of strength um, he ended up being able to lift a horse you know so incredibly strong and after a while with all this training he decides to become a wrestler after one match he was visited by Michael Hitzeller who was the world champion in 1897 and Hitzeller sent him to Nuremberg to wrestle where, where he won all his matches but as he was wrestling amateur he wasn't getting paid and, and literally had to sell his coat so he could get home even though you know the newspapers were sort of full of his exploits and writing about him, he still still wasn't making any uh, money off the back of it. In 1904, he took part in the amateur championships and uh, won the cup and the title of uh, European amateur champion. So we probably professional wrestling on the side at this point. But subsequently, he gets that taken away because he has been taking part in professional matches. All right. So there's the the link there as well that the, they don't like him uh, doing doing both really. So during a, a tour of uh, Spain in 1908, he had a dispute with a cafe owner uh, over whether it was harder to fight a bull or a man. <laughs> what, what a said, great argument! Smeckle said that fighting a man was harder as and it would be under his dignity to fight a, a bull with a knife, you know, because 
he was too hard for that. You know, the ma- man was cunning. Uh, you know, it's just a feat of strength against a bull. So there was a bet that Smeckle couldn't beat a bull with his bare hands. So on the 24th of May 1908, Smeckle fought a bull with his bare hands and won. What the fuck? Yeah. He had a tour of America uh, where he defeated 54 out of 55 opponents, earning the name Big Joe in America. Um, was, 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 was that in a row? Yeah, 55 in a row. Yeah. Only like one after the other on the same day. Yeah, he, he only lost his last match, which was against Frank Gotch. And there was some controversy in the papers at the time because the referee who made the decision that Frank Gotch had won was appointed by Frank Gotch. Um, it was a man who'd later become the mayor of Chicago, uh, Mr. Simrick. So, yeah, I thought it was on, on the take. And people who bet on Smeckle uh, accused Simrick of uh, fixing the match. Um, yeah, it feels like the fix was in on that one. Yeah, it definitely does. In addition, Smeckle's manager disappeared with all the money that he'd made on the tar, so he was left without uh, any friends or any money uh, and had to work on a cargo ship to get his way home. Jesus wept. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, you, you weren't lying. This guy's life is bloody interesting. I, I couldn't find any of this. In 1913, he won the European uh, Championship. Um, and uh, play second in the World Cup in Vienna behind uh, multiple-time world champion uh, who was from Germany, who was called Swartz. In July, with this match that we're reviewing, he goes on to win the gold medal at the International Professional Greco-Roman Tournament. So after that, uh, in, yeah, in 1914, he, he went uh, to America to have the rematch against uh, Gotch, um, you know, to, to avenge the 1908 defeat that World War One broke out, so he had to return home. He ends up buying a, a farm in Minchevi and a brewery as well, uh, and, and he was a brewer for the rest of his life as well as wrestling. Good man. But um, since he was little manpower during the war, he was supposed to do, supposed to do most of the work himself, and which helped him stay in shape. Uh, uh, <laughs> helped him uh, in 1923 win the European Championships uh, when he finally defeated uh, Gustav Brensky and won another um, European title. He actually died in 1942. This is during the German occupation. Uh, and at the time, I'll have all speeches and whatever were, were forbidden by the occupying forces. Uh, the sort of church and area in front of the church was completely full and there was a national silence to mark his death e- even during the occupation wow sorry as you can probably tell none of none of what scant stuff i could find tallies with any of this so th- this is all completely new to me that's amazing yeah a, 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 a national silence in the middle of a world war yeah in the middle of the occupation, yeah, it's insane. I mean, both these guys could legitimately have a film made about them. Incredible lives. Oh yeah, unreal. It could be like it could be like TV miniseries, and and you could you know you could cross them over and all sorts. Yeah, yeah, it's literally incredible. And guys that you know, most wrestling fans these days will will have no idea who they are. Well, about hazard to guess that neither of us knew who either of these guys were before we found this footage and started looking into it. And Smeckle in particular, the, the story of him being emaciated after being ill and then turning to weightlifting and bodybuilding, that whole story was pretty much replicated by Bruno San Martino. 
just unreal. Yeah, just, just the challenges they had to get over and, you know, the ways promoters were screwing them over and, you know, the little money and all this sort of stuff. And then one of them's trying to steal the other one's girl. I know. Shocking. I'm going to put up with all this shit and you. <laughs> yeah, you prick. Yeah. <laughs> I'm blown away by all that about Smeckle. Yeah. Just, oh. I think my problem is as well now that I look at look at the notes. There was a de- a good deal of crossover in my notes between Joseph Smeckel and uh, another wrestler called Joseph uh, Steckel, right. which was S T E J S K L. I've just noticed how part way through that it changes to Steckel, and I just, I, I was under a bit of time constraint, and I was it was quite late at night, so I've not noticed. So well. Save myself looking like a complete dick anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so we're uh, we're going to do things uh, a little bit differently tonight as we've done before. Uh, we're actually going to have a, uh, a watch along. So we'll be dropping the uh, the link to this footage on uh, you know on Twitter so you can watch along with us. Uh, so I'm just going to bring that up now. And as ever, we'll give you a bit of a countdown and we'll uh, we'll try our best to uh, to call what we see, won't we? Yeah, uh, well, absolute best. It's more commentary than it got at the time because there was no commentary on it, so it's better than now. <laughs> I appreciate your optimism in my commentary abilities after uh, after a nine and a half percent stout. <laughs> right, so I've got it ready to go on YouTube, and uh, do you want to do the countdown, mate? Yeah, so we're going to start in three, two, one, go. So we've got the uh, the title screen for Stensky versus Smeckel, uh, production by uh, Sasha Film. Uh, we've got one. Oh wow, that's a that is an awesome old car pulling up. Yeah, and you're getting a bit of the pomp and circumstances here. So we're getting um, Schmeckel uh, coming out. He's got his straw hat on, getting yeah. led through the crowd. Um, and then next we're getting uh, Fretzky um, led through the crowd. Um, a shot of uh, Smeckle is wearing a shirt because he's um, a little bit of a larger gentleman. Not, not too much, but um, yeah. he's certainly not got the chiselled body that um, uh, Fretzky has, who's uh, showing that off to the crowd. Fristensky's got a big set of arms on him as well. Yeah. Um, yeah a really, really thick neck. But um, Smeckle is, is a big unit. It'll be, it'll be difficult to manoeuvre around. Yeah, we've got them on a raised platform uh, in the middle. Now, apparently, the spectators made the platform before this match. Really? Yeah, there's no ropes or anything. Um, no. Got the head balanced against each other. I think Tank Abbott would have loved this. Um, yeah. Sort of headbutting, yeah. trying to grab each other's hands. It, it looks very much like the pose on the big gold belt of two wrestlers wrestling. Yes, it does. It's it, it, it's This is... Essentially, sort of pure technique, isn't it? Yeah, it, it completely is. Um, you've got the crowd there. A little bit of a strange setup. You've got maybe the first five or six rows that are around the ring, and then there's quite a gap between everyone else further back. You know, the, the plebs are quite a way back, really, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, keep, yeah, keep the riffraff away from the, uh, uh, you know, from the from the, uh, from the rich uh, from the richer people. I've just noticed as well that the uh, the referees wearing a uh, also wearing a, a sort of tank top. But, yeah, uh, but also a pair of Sam and Cal's trousers. Yeah, but quite long, sort of plus four shorts, sort of thing. 
just gone out of shot now, but there was an Austro-Hungarian flag in the background, so that was quite nice to see. Yeah. It's... Yeah, I, I keep seeing that uh, that Smeckled is continually going with the right hand behind Ben Frostensky's head. Now, I know nothing about wrestling. I'm just wondering if that's a leverage thing. To be honest, what we should have maybe done is get um, get Graham's lad uh, Mason on to see if he could shed any light of you know from a wrestler's perspective. Yeah, I think that they are wrestling or trying to do this professional wrestling in the, the Greco-Roman style, uh, mm. and you know. Um, they're very much doing that, but yeah, they're definitely trying to get that sort of leverage. And you know, I mean, we've always had that stone called Steve Austin. Oh, there he goes. Take down there from uh, Fritensky to uh, Schmeckel. And um, they do look like possibly one of them is out of bounds, and I think the referee is going to separate them uh, yeah, at this point. And Schmeckel showed a great turn of speed there to uh, to take the back. Yeah, and it's very much like the uh, American collegiate wrestling where they go back to the starting position once they've gone out of bounds and sort of mm. one of them's on all fours it's like that south park uh this is real wrestling yeah yeah we're Stensky down there in da- in uh, in downward dog in a yoga position for a minute but now he's on top he's he's, he's taking the back and he's got um or he did have this both is, wrists this is very much like the tank abbott scott steiner match where Smith- yes gone on the ground to stop um, Fresensky, um like getting a, a grip in there, you know, a defensive position. Yeah, you can tell there's no weight classes here as well because Smeckel is, is by far the bigger man. Uh, this looks like a, a break between rounds. Yeah, there's a mid-round break. Now, it's probably just important to say this match, um, there's only eight minutes and 12 seconds. It was actually a 60-minute match in reality, but there's only so much footage available. Presumably at the time, this would have been at a cinema. You'd have been having the piano music. You'd have maybe been having sort of the slides in between that would have explained yeah. stuff, but we're not getting any of that, unfortunately. Fristensky's working for leverage there, isn't he? Yeah, Smeckle's taken his um, T-shirt off as well, hasn't he? You know, it's probably a sign of, of how far this is going. So it's it's a little bit difficult in black and white to uh, tell them apart <laughs> at the moment. But uh, Smeckle's uh, down on the mat and Fritensky's trying to sort of leverage a hold. Uh, that, looked, that, looked, um, that looked very close to a key lock from uh, from Smeckle there, now that he's got the advantage. And I'd love to know if they're, if they're boots that Fristensky's wearing off or he's just got socks pulled up really high. I think they've both got quite high socks in this game haven't the referees got high, quite high socks as well very, yeah. very much loving that that look at the moment i am surprised that the referee's not dancing around and trying to make himself the center of attention i thought that was what he's supposed to do in uh, professional yeah, well, he, he was just picking his logo then <laughs> and an interesting move from um Fetensky there he's trying to sort of force one arm down and grab a headlock with the other arm mm. um but yeah, it's very much in the um, collegiate Greco-Roman style. Oh, the ring apron just uh, sort of caught the breeze there. I don't know if you saw yeah, that. I did, I did, yeah. It was, um, sorry, I had a line in my head then. It's uh, it's just gone completely out of my brain. Oh, well, I'm sure it'll come back to me if it was that good. I mean, the, the whole of this has looked like they are legitimately trying to win and trying to outpower the other one. A half Nelson on the mat there and tried mm. to roll it oh. in, in from Fetensky, but Schmeckel rolls over the top and he's back out. That was a lovely roll through. Yeah, it, it was It was really good. Yeah, And the crowd are absolutely enfold. And it's nice to see quite a mix here. You've got uh, quite a lot of women in the crowd with, uh, you know, the fancy hats on. Yeah. Sort of thing, that... as well as... And I know this footage is, is sort of 
perhaps you know because of the age of it, it kind of looks sped up at times. But how quick was Frostensky getting up then? Oh yeah, yeah, it, it, an absolute turn of pace when they've got it. They're both back on the feet now. We do get quite a lot of cutting from scene to scene in here. You know, they're up and then all of a sudden they're back down on the mountain. Fratenski's mm. got his arms around Smeckle and, and trying to turn him. But, it looked like, yeah. looked like Smeckle was trying to use his weight and then almost get it onto, you know, Fratenski's head. But he's done quite well to work his way to the edge of the ring and get him out of bounds. Yeah, I think the, the, a little bit knackered there, to be fair, but they've probably gone about 45 minutes in real terms at this point. Yeah. There looked to be a bit of needle there as well with the way that Smeckle uh, walked over to Frostensky. I just think that the, the, from what I can see here and what my little knowledge of anything sort of combat sports related, um, the size and the sort of the size and, and weight of Smeckle is, is prov- proving really difficult for Frostensky, but then it, it's also contributing to maybe Smeckle being a bit knackered. Yeah, uh, and so there you go. Um, it's a, it's a one-hour draw. Schmeckel's uh, talking to the crowd. Um, everyone's come around the ring, even people from the cheap seats. Everyone's on the feet around the ring, um, congratulating them. They shake hands. I think Schmeckel's off to the pay window by the look of that. <laughs> Except he's not knocked anybody out. Um, yeah, it's, he deserves I, it after that hour. He does. One thing I've noticed as well, everybody's wearing hats. Yeah, a lot of straw boaters out. You know, you yeah. think it's a. It's like it's like a day at Lords. <laughs> yeah. No, everyone was very classy in this event. Yeah, um, Schmeckel's back in the ring. Is bowing to everyone around. Uh, Fratenski's uh, being toweled down. Yeah, but every everyone absolutely loved it. You know, you can see they were absolutely enthralled and, you know, up there to give them the congratulations. Yeah. yeah. It's great, and you've got the uh, sort of the master of ceremonies in there as well, who's looking dapper. Smeckle's collected his clothes. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. That's the oldest ever match. Yeah. It... Oldest surviving match, did I say? Yeah. I can't imagine sitting through, you know, an hour of it, but to have that snapshot of, uh, of how wrestling sort of used to be, I suppose, way back in the day, that, you know, that's what this podcast is all about, and it's... Uh, it, absolutely wonderful to see that yeah yeah it's nice to watch as a one-off i mean uh, obviously we've had a lot more you know production and all this sort of stuff thrown at the wrestling that we've watched you know in the last um, 109 years obviously <laughs> and uh, yeah but to be honest you've got to give this thing its due it still had better commentary than listening to jerry lawler Oh, it definitely did. It definitely did. <laughs> there was a lot to enjoy about this, uh, This though. You know, I mean, they had the pomp and circumstance there. It, it was a big event. It was a, a continual struggle, and everything looked realistic. Because I think, I think it will have been, to a point, you know. These two had that rivalry. They, did, you know, probably didn't like each other very much, yet they were still cordial and gentlemanly at the end. Um yeah. And, you know, if you talk about the pomp and circumstance, in 1913, how rare would it have been to see a car? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's that's amazing. It's it's the precursor to to Sasha Banks every time she's come out in an Escalade or, you know, something similar. Um, I don't know why my mind immediately went back to Brooklyn, but there we go. Yeah, it was... I, I enjoyed that. It was it was a nice little look back through history and, and to fascinating individuals yeah no i, I absolutely love that uh, 
in-depth look into the history of wrestling. Uh, it's, it's been really good. It, it would feel sort of disingenuous to try and rate it as we would, you know, our, our normal fare on this show. But as, as a look through history and sort of seeing the foundation or one of the foundations that, that everything today was built on, I'd have to I'd have to give it a round of applause if I can't give it a numerical value out of ten. Yeah, definitely. It's not had any reviews on Cage Match. It, it did have <laughs> it's actually on Cage Match, which is a miracle because really? you know a lot of world as far from the seventies isn't, which is annoying. But the thing about this is, I think it's a must watch. I'd be tempted to give it a ten because of its historical significance. I'm glad you said that because that's exactly where I was going with it as well. But I, but I fell short. So, but I'd be more than happy to agree to give this a 10 for historical significance. Yeah. Yeah, I think everyone should go on cage match and give this a 10. And, <laughs> and wrestling data. Yeah. <laughs> it's not about, no. It, yeah, it wouldn't be on wrestling data. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely one. I think people should check out. So I don't think we're going to like go through the normal, you know, René Goulet's and all that sort of thing. I think we should probably give René Goulet the René Goulet for this, because I'm sure he was about in the background with a straw boater on. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me, but if we were going to do a René Goulet, I would have probably given it to Frostensky for his moustache. Yes, yeah, he definitely had that in the postcards at the time and uh, publicity shots and posters yeah. and whatnot. I'm, I'm now going to decide that it is canon that... Gustav Frostensky is in fact Wing Commander Nash's great great granddad. Yeah, no, no I'm sure he is. I'm sure yeah. he is. Hashtag, hashtag Wing Commander facts. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there were no adverts on this show because I don't think adverts have been invented at this time. Yeah. Although... <laughs> at least not not video adverts. There might have been like uh, murals painted on sides of buildings for uh, for something like I mean, that. To be fair, I mean, football had had its first sponsorship at this point. They'd had the uh, Lipton Tea World Cup Cup already, but I think that was 1909. So Fair point. That's some sponsorship. Fair point. I'm sorry, I'm just thinking there's uh, there's still there's at least one mural, or no, two of the old sort of mural advertisings that, that still exist in York, and I'm, I'm sure that one of them's from about 1917. It just gets retouched every year, and it's for, uh, for Biles Beans. They sound awful. Yeah, why why would you name your beans after bile? Yeah, well, you know, couldn't keep them off the shelves in 1917. Yeah. <laughs> because there was rationing. Um. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, thank you, everybody, for uh, for joining us on our sort of historical look back. It was, uh, like I said, something a bit different this week, just me and Rob, but it's something we've wanted to do for quite a while. And uh, we thought it was it was really important to look at. So let us know what you think. Like I say, we'll be dropping the uh, we'll be dropping the footage, uh, the the YouTube link in the uh, uh, on Twitter. So let us know. Trust us. Come along. Well, you why am I saying that? You'll have already come along. Fuck it. I must be drunk. Uh, <laughs> well, I was just going to go through a few um, shout-outs that we've had for the show. Oh um, shit! Yeah, I forgot that bit. Yeah, yeah. So the Bullhorn at Bullhorn underscore FM had asked for people to give podcasts for. Recommendations and Mark from the Project Football Podcast at Proj underscore Foot had recommended us in there, although he's also mentioned Marty and Fitch and Bang Bang. So, uh, we're, we're the best of we're the best of that bunch, then. Yeah, yeah, def- definitely. We've had a few uh, people send in signs of the night, 
from various signs that they've seen while they've been watching wrestling. And honestly, if you do see any signs that, that would qualify for signs of the night, please send them in because we absolutely love them. So Steve-O sent in Triple H fears turkey jizz from an episode of Raw that he found. I, I, I love how Steve-O always tags me in those as well because he knows I'll be down for the immature ones. Chris at 82not underscore Chris said, The Undertaker is awesome for me to poop on. <laughs> Things, I don't know where that line is originally from, but I know that Family Guy were kind of doing a take on it in their early days, so around about, around about 2000, 2001, so this is in a similar sort of era. I just don't know the source material, but I know what they're driving at. And Andy at Bam Bam Podcast said he'd found one for the triple uh, the HBK fans. It said, Brett's a shit man, not a hit man. No comment. I refuse to acknowledge the Brett slander. Well, you refuse to acknowledge it, but uh, the downturn at the downturn, uh, uh, downturn the, uh, from the downturn podcast said that seeing that sign was the happiest day of the life. So that makes me sad. Not that you disagree about Brett, just that, you know, that was the happiest day of your life. I hope, there's many, I hope there's many more happier days to come. In terms of other shout-outs, obviously Andy normally gives us uh, lots of shout-outs on Bam Bam Podcast, so thank you very much for that, Andy, even though you're a rival in the Monday morning wars. In air quotes. Yeah, got, got a shout-out on uh, Radio Techers uh, from Matt, so thank you very much for that, and uh, obviously got mentioned on um, Good Cop, Bad Cop uh, as well, so thank you for that again, Matt and, uh, and Graham, for, for that. That's uh, yeah. very much appreciated. Thank you all. Very much appreciated. As Rob says, absolutely love it. And they're all his podcasts. Go give them a listen. So where can people find you, Dan? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21. Usually they're uh, talking about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. Uh, you can also hear me on the Doctor Who pod with Cy Powell, uh, where we alternate and look at Classic Who, see what lands for me uh, as a new Who fan. And new who see what lands for size a classic who fan uh, we did the first season just us but season two by the time we listen to this we're well underway and we're having some special guests on and we might be chucking a, a couple of special episodes in there as well where can Super. people find you mate very much looking forward to that one you can find me at utt rob it's really more about the mutuals than it is about the followers i'm absolutely more than happy to follow back you can find the show at utt podcast yeah, you can find our other show on Booking the Tankatory, where we follow the ups and downs of the in-ring career of Tank Abbott, who's legitimately the hardest man that ever lived. And if you go to the Twitter for that podcast at UTT Tank, you'll get some hashtag tank facts, such as in 1997, supercomputer Deep Blue beats chess grandmaster Gary Kasparov. After facing and losing to Tank Abbott, the computer is now called Deep Black and Blue. <laughs> I've heard that a couple of times now, and it's never not funny. <laughs> Frank Abbott is ready for Asuka. He is, undeniable fact. Yeah, and uh, I know you're several weeks behind on wrestling, but there was actually a five-second clip of Tank Abbott on this week's NXT 2.0. and it's what? A, Yeah, seriously, and it's a hashtag tank fact that that is the highest-rated five seconds in television history. I saw that tweet and thought somebody was bullshitting. No, it was the Tank Abbott, Rick Steiner, you know, face-off where Tank Abbott's behind the guardrail. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, fin- we're gonna finish this recording. I'm gonna go watch NXT. Yeah, it, it, well, uh, and then you'll be, 
yeah. sucked into um, the drama that is uh, <laughs> NXT 2.0. I mean, I probably won't because I've tried. I've watched NXT 2.0 a couple of times. Admittedly, enjoyed what I was watching. You know, it was all right. It was fine. I, I don't regret spending my time watching it, but it's never quite dragged me back into watching the the product weekly. It's funny because I was listening to Piece of Business podcast earlier and they said that they'd experimented fast forwarding through all the segments and just watching the wrestling and they found it a really enjoyable show. And I'm convinced if you fast forward all the wrestling and just watch the segments, you'd find it a really uh, entertaining show. So, <laughs> but It's different strokes for different folks, though, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, I think if you watch those two independently, you'd think they were brilliant. Maybe when you put them together, it doesn't work quite as well. But... Well, maybe not. Who knows? I, maybe I can be the judge. Yeah. Yeah, so see what you like. Also on this network, you can hear the One Man's Meat podcast, where the real Chris Bellis and Danny at Scottish Juggalo are going through the forgotten storylines, uh, wrestlers that might not get that much love, that kind of thing. Really worth checking out, so go give them some support on there so where do you think you should go next Dan I'm not quite sure to be honest um, because we've uh, we've got Bear a few irons watch. Bear watch Those people stand in the darkness afraid to step into the light I don't actually know what we're doing because we, uh, we had a um, oh, who was it's last match oh we have Lou Fez's last match um, to watch as well don't we and we've got Ox Baker on The Price is Right, and we've got Jackie Palo on um, Are You Being Served? We've got so much that we want to cover. i tell you what, shall we do? We've had the very first match. Let's do Lou Fez's last match. We're coming back through the years. Yeah, no, it sounds good to me, that one. Get a bit of Lou Fez. Bit of Lou Fez. I've never actually watched... Oh, no, I'll tell you, I think I've watched one Lou Fez match, and it's whichever match was on the... Um... Uh, the World Heavyweight title uh, DVD box set that WWE put together. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Great stuff. See you there. Thank you for listening.